0: Welcome to the Brother 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 podcast. I'm Eros Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother Brother podcast. Christian is on injured reserve. Um, today we're talking about what everybody's talking about, which is the new Peter Jackson documentary, The Beatles Get Back. Uh, I just want to give a brief history of the project because, um, speaking of Christian, he actually sort of asked me a timeline, and usually he, you know, does enough. Homework that he knows this stuff, but um, it is—it's a little confusing about who did what here. And and basically, what it was was in 1969, the Beatles allowed a documentary film crew and Michael and director Michael Lindsay-Hogg to capture the recording of "Let It Be" their next album, and um, this was going to be part of a TV special. The TV special was, you know, if you've seen the documentary, isn't terribly well thought out and people are pitching some of the worst ideas I've ever heard, including <laughs> let's go to Tripoli and, and shoot this in a, uh, in a Libyan yeah. amphitheater and uh, Michael Lindsey Hogg's classic. Um, what about an orphanage? Um,
1: yes, the orphanage but- was, was <laughs> one of my faves, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, so ultimately um, it didn't. That got nixed and Michael Lindsey Hogg, cut down about an 80-minute um, movie uh, with the same title as the album, Let It Be. Um, famously, none of the Beatles showed up for the premiere, and none of them liked it. And um, as testament to the fact that none of them liked it, it really is hard to uh, find these days. It, uh, You and I, Jeremy, uh, both watched it a fair amount on VHS when video stores still existed, but... I don't even think you can find snippets on it from um, you know on YouTube or anything anymore. They're certainly not streaming anywhere. So Peter Jackson found out um, that there was this trove of film from these sessions and set about a couple of years ago to recut um, "Let It Be" into a feature film that was going to be released. I think about a year a little bit over a year ago. And um, I found out about this um, probably two and a half years ago, two years ago, and was really looking forward to this feature film that was going to come out um, in 2020. And then in 2020, the announcement was made that Peter Jackson uh, was changing his mind and that he was recutting the doc as a multi-part documentary television series and that it was going to be eight hours long. And to which I said, hell yes. Um, (laughs) You know, the the, the original, just to, you know, not to lose context, the original Let It Be, which again is out of uh, circulation, uh, was a very downbeat, kind of depressing documentary, uh, I think that was intended by its makers to sort of uh, document the the. Um, dissolution of the Beatles. And it it was a lot of what fueled the narrative that Yoko broke up the Beatles. Um, It certainly didn't um, paint the band in any kind of rosy manner. And then there was a little bit of the... uh, No, it
1: was pretty depressing, actually.
0: It was really dour. Yeah. And so you get to see through this, and and this is where we'll sort of start this conversation. Um, You know, this is not a movie about people who hate each other, nor is it a movie about... Uh, a band that is, I mean, it is a movie about a band breaking up, but it's not about a band breaking up. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what were your takeaways? I mean, I guess just throwing it out there generally, what were your takeaways?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of things just, and I'll backtrack a little bit with, you know, as you mentioned prior, I had seen the the original um, movie, found it pretty Dour, boring. Um, but I also came to the album Let It Be a Little Later for you know, I think it's it's an album that famously the Beatles put out Abbey Road prior to it, even though it was recorded after. And um and an album that they never loved, hence it even got a reissue, I think, a few years back. Um, you know, sort of remastered the way they kind of wanted it to sound well, or, uh, or the remaining members
0: started. Um, you know, Phil Spector, who is not I think I don't even think there's a photo of him in this. Um that's right, Produ- he mixed it, right? Yeah, produced the, our mixed the record, and um, Paul McCartney went back and basically stripped out every every um, bit of flair, for lack of a better term, that, that Spectre had put on it and released, I think, in the early 2000s as Let It Be Naked.
1: Naked, right. And then that was, I actually, you know, I mean, and, and to be honest, I didn't think there was a lot of flair on the record. Um, it's one of the things I liked about that record in, in general. Um but yeah, sorry to get back to the the take. I mean, I think you you kind of hit on a couple things. One was you know, I, I, off of my first experience with it, I was expecting it to be a little a little more of a of a band coming apart or or just disliking each other. There are certain flare ups and, and things that we'll talk about for sure, um, you know. But I, my impression, kind of, if I was to like summarize it, was you know, a it, a really kind of intimate, um, intimate viewing with you know four extremely creative. You know, not stating the obvious here, but but um, you know, just amazingly creative men that are, are kind of at the end, you know, of, of, of working together to a certain degree. And, and I think you kind of get a sense of the outside forces there, not, not so much, you know, Yoko broke up the band, but the business of the band, the, um, sort of constraints of a band that could hardly, you know, that didn't play live anymore. Um, you know, I think the personal ambitions and, and, you know, Paul obviously being more business minded, uh, you know, uh, being, you know, sort of more idealistic and, and you know, and I, I mean these in very kind of, uh, you know, uh, high level remarks, but also, you know, George Harrison's sort of dissatisfaction with being the third wheel. And I, I think like in that you saw a group of guys that had played together for a very long time and, you know, enjoyed and laughed and and had, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it was like a, re- a breakup in terms of like a, a mutual parting, almost, you know, you kind of got a, a, a look into uh, almost like a, a, a very long-term relationship that was kind of coming to its end. And there was a lot of respect and joy that was still being had, but it was also just, I think every, the writing was on the wall. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and then I found, you know, we can talk about things that we liked and didn't like, but you know, just the sheer kind of like, uh, I guess, piecemealing of songs and pieces of songs. Even so, there's a lot of solo songs that, that on all their first records that are kind of popped around here too. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's pretty just cool to see if you're a music fan or, you know. In, in, I think one of the the benefits that you have with, with the Beatles and this much footage is that you know everything. You know what I mean? So it's not like... Um, you know watching a, a documentary on you know and for lack of something i, I can't think of anybody but like pink floyd or something where it's like a deep cut that i have no idea what the fuck it is you know what i mean like these are songs that you end up kind of knowing very well and very intimately and, and I, I thought that was just kind of cool and interesting how they morph um i remember watching sympathy for the devil uh the rolling stones doc and similarly how that song kind of starts gossipy and then kind of becomes more groovy and you know and you see that with with um, you know songs like "Get Back" and, and songs like "Let It Be" and you know and, and I, I thought that was really pretty cool and intricate in two of us, um, but yeah I mean I I think it definitely brought more joy to the process than I was expecting and and definitely that I then I got out of the first version of this movie. Oh
0: god, yeah, yeah. I think you know I mean it's an interesting insight into the creative process and and I think if anybody who's ever been in a studio during the making of an album, you know, I, which I have many times and you probably have as well. Um, or if you've ever been on set, which I know, you know, for not as much, a, I would say
1: my, my, yeah, my comp would be being on movie sets or television sets Yeah, where there's
0: a lot you, of downtime and a lot of boredom. <laughs> there's a lot of boredom and it's not fun. And, and, you know, um, I mean, it's not, not fun. It's just, if you're not part of the process, it would be, it is dull, And um, you know, there's a whole lot of stop start. And um it was cool that this was as fluid as it was, that there was as much music. I mean, obviously, you know, again, we're talking 60 hours cut down. Um, so you know, there was a whole lot of sitting around as well. But um, you know, if you're if you're not familiar with the process that leads to the creation of collaborative art like music or or film or television um it was a pretty good insight into uh you know what it looks like and and it, it it's interesting to look you know 50 years ago and see you know how much more even the the um technological constraints um you know make it even more of a, an intimate setting because you you know a lot of these a lot of these tunes are recorded live to tape as opposed to you know the old we can fix it with Pro Tools or we can fix it in post. Um, yeah, or,
1: or Lennon sending in his vocals and you know yeah emailing um, you know so many things are recorded and I mean a lot of groups today are recording in completely different locations or different you know yeah. um, you know completely different songs or just a piece of a song and and uh, and that's what I thought was kind of cool. I mean, first of all, and that, correct me if you if you think or not correct me but disagree with me if you want, what a bad idea. <laughs> you know, to bring a camera crew in to this. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I mean, it was just sort of like, I almost feel like if they hadn't done that, you might have got another Beatles album, maybe. I don't know. But um, but I feel like it was just you can't help but, but you know, be self-conscious, even if you're that big of a personality or, or that big of a celebrity when you're on camera all the time. And I think different uh, different members of the group reacted to it very differently. You know, I think you you definitely get sort of a more playful John Lennon than you imagine at that time where, you know, I think to your earlier point, he's always been kind of painted as the, the guy who, you know, sat in the corner with his new girlfriend and at the the time and and Yoko and, you know, just wouldn't participate. But I think very opposite. He's kind of a clown and fun and actually diffuses a lot of situations in my mind um Paul McCartney is very much who I, you know, remember and imagine and, and very much who he is today, I think. Like you know, guy just really is a personality that hasn't changed much. Um but it was great to see like Ringo and George and you know, I I've always been a huge George Harrison fan and loved the documentary on him. He's pretty pissed and pretty bitter and pretty mm-hmm.
0: snipey. Well, you, you know, know what's funny? I, I, actually, I I noticed for the, you know, I don't know that I've ever really thought. I mean, it, I've never really said it out loud because it's never but George Harrison's playing is very reflective of that mood. He's a very—I mean, his guitar, his solos are super melancholy.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, and he just—he's the one member I felt like who didn't want to be there. And Ringo is the guy who was kind of caught in the middle. Um, Ringo is everybody's you know, friend.
0: He's, he's a peacemaker. Yeah,
1: I mean, Ringo again is as a personality, and like these personalities are, are have been in your life, so it's not like. You're being dropped into a mystery, like the Velvet Underground doc, you know, that we mm-hmm. talked about recently. But at the same time, you get such a, you know, as intimate as you could be with a camera running. But I, I think because of the amount of footage and the way Peter Jackson did this, you do get a real sense of of the comfort level that these guys had. And, and you know, Ringo is, is a little less clowny and jokey than I thought he would be, but also very steady and, and to your point, you know, kind of like a, not, not even a peacemaker, I would say, but just somebody who's there, you know, he's, he's the like, old. look, these are my, yeah, he's, these are my buddies. And I don't, you know, like the scene where he shows up at the end of one and no one's there mm-hmm. <laughs> is just like, you know, kind of classic and he's not a dick about it. You know, he's just sort of like, all right, like whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm going to, um, we're going to cover the, uh, the spinal tap of it, um, in the next yeah. segment. But, um, two things that I did learn in doing research for this pod was, uh, one is, Michael Lindsay Hogg um, comes from a famed American uh, theater family and um, is reputedly Orson Welles' um, illegitimate child.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Which is
0: interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, his Hence mom the... and dad were both New York socialites. Um, you wouldn't know he was American from listening to him in this. And uh, I thought that was kind of it. You know, we could go on for a little bit longer about... Who his parents, contemporaries, and social circle were, including you know sort of Gloria Vanderbilt and people like that, but they were very much sort of New York society people, and so that was kind of interesting to me. Um, and then you know I, I wanted to you know like I said aside from one producer, uh, music producer, um, whose career was spent in the studio, who said that you know you sort of put off by the idea of watching. Um, the Beatles be as, as uh, boring as anybody else was during the course of a recording, um, uh, or as, as sort of uh, mortal as anybody else, you know, bitchy and, and uh, you know, um, complaining. Everybody else I know has sort of had this kind of awestruck um, relationship with this movie. Everybody's like, oh, my God that was the greatest thing ever. Uh, give me more. Um, you know, you. I think you're a little bit uh, less enthusiastic, or not less enthusiastic, but I think you had some things, some very uh, legitimate um, criticism, critiques here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think coming from a place of, you know, being um, a, a child of the the behind the music doc or the, the, you know, kind of typical music documentary, you know, the short kind of clips and the drama, none of that is really here, you know? I mean, there is drama, but it's not dramatic, you know? And, and I guess there's sort of it's personal inter, inter, no, interrelation stuff. Um, I did find the length a little boring at times, you know? And I just think it was... Not that I, I, I'm i glad it's there, you know what I mean? But do I, do? I think when you say people were blown away or loved it, I don't know that I loved it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I liked it and I I found it interesting. And I, I, I you know, I don't know that I would sit down and watch it again or gather a group of friends around to, to watch more of it though. And I think it was what you kind of touched on earlier having, and you were saying, you know, your experience in, in studios um, and my experience in film work, you know, is that, there is a lot of hurry up and go. And so there's that sitting around is just truly kind of monotonous. It's like watching paint peel off a wall. And then there's probably the most intense, you know, kind of hour, half hour of actual creativity being burst out. And so, you know, I don't know that I need to live that. I almost felt like I was kind of living that with them Mm -hmm. to some degree, Um, you know, as opposed to like them you know, rip in a Buck Owens tune, which I think is fantastic and cool. That was great. Um, There's a
0: bunch of snippets in there.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, but it was funny this, we ended up watching this over Thanksgiving holiday and our our folks were up from uh, Virginia here, here in Boston and you were kind to host. Um, But, you know, it seemed like at least they, they claim to of you know, our parents from different generation of the, the Beatles generation for that matter, at least my father, you know, they seem to really like it and enjoy that. And mm-hmm. Paula, your your lovely wife, also seemed to really enjoy it. And for somebody who I think, I would think I would have more tolerance for that kind of shit than they would. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I kind of had less for some reason. I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this is like a little overboard.
0: Yeah, I think Mom was living in England at that time, contemporaneously with the with the Beatles, and they were a phenomenon. And so it was funny listening to her because she was, you know sort of uh very focused the on the wives and haircuts and, and, yeah. <laughs> and you know things that she remembered from the newspaper so she's like oh yeah was you know was uh, Maureen still around during this period or you know so it was kind of it was kind of interesting um you know and then um yeah i thought it would be a little long for them, but they all seem. I mean, they seem to enjoy it. And and I guess the the flip side of of the boredom of hanging of being on a movie set or being on a in a recording studio, spending time in a recording studio, is that you know you can be a big Beatles fan, which obviously we are. Um, but the one thing you've never gotten to do is hang around with the Beatles, and this was the this was the hangout. And for definitely. Or worse,
1: and I think. To kind of counter um, your friend, the studio uh, engineer that, that had the take of like I deem these de- sort of mystifying the Beatles or I don't want to see them as human being, I kind of did. De- that is a part that I thought was was pretty cool. I mean, you almost wish that you got a little bit of that earlier too. You know, mm-hmm. some of that hangout because I, I very much felt like, like I said, it was sort of like a mutual breakup. You know, relationship, long-term marriage that kind of people go their separate ways, which it ver which it was, I guess. But um but at the same time, like I did like the fact that they were goofballs and that they were, you know, there but were a lot of moments fun. Yeah, that didn't seem like they were just hamming it up for the, the, you know, small audience within there. And they also were fucking huge, you know. I think that was the other mm-hmm. piece that was kind of cool. Is like this is a band not at the beginning or the middle, but this is a band at the end who is the biggest thing in the world. This is and, the, most fam- you know, the most
0: famous people in the world.
1: Exactly. So you did get a little bit of like, you know, occasionally like, fuck it, we're rich, you know, and yeah. like uh this sucks or I'm out of here today or I don't, I don't feel like showing up. But you also got a little bit of like, oh, wow, they're pretty cool and pretty down to earth for, you know, people that can't even walk outside without getting, you know, completely yeah. mobbed.
0: Yeah, just four guys in fur coats and sneakers.
1: Yeah, exactly. With
0: anyway, you want to take a quick break and, and uh, Damon, queue up the two of us and we will come back and talk a little bit more about some of our high points and uh, some of the spinal tap of it all. I dig a pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the deaf-aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats.
1: Um, welcome back to Brother, 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 and today uh, Wyndham and I are talking about Get Back, the Peter Jackson Beatles series that's on Disney Plus, streaming on Disney Plus. And um, you know, we we kind of went over some of our just initial takes, but um, let's talk high points. And and uh, as you said in the last segment, there the spinal tap of it all. Um, what are some of the high points for you? And
0: what's just I mean, watching them. Watching the creation of individual songs that have become, you know, etched in stone in my brain. You know, I if if there was a, you know, if there was a single note that was different in "Let It Be" or or "The Two of Us" or uh, "Get Back," I would recognize it um, as you know. Oh, this isn't the album version. Um, just because of you know those songs, just every every single peak part, every single note, um, is registered and it has been for, for me for 40 years. Um, I think, um, watching, uh, you know, obviously picking out the, you know, like you said, the, you know, the, when Ringo, there's a, ten, you know, three second clip of Ringo singing Act Naturally by Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, you know, hearing some of the covers that they were doing just to dick around, but also, um, a lot of the snippets of you know what would eventually become um, iconic songs on their solo on their individual solo records I mean we get to hear uh, you know the tune of jealous Guy with yep. some weirdo lyrics about Marrakesh. Um, you hear you know all things must pass with a you know with a particularly um, inappropriate uh, harmony or uh, you know yeah harmony piece uh, from Paul McCartney, which thankfully um, doesn't uh, make it to, you know, an album and and becomes, you know, George Harrison's solo masterpiece. Um, You get, even when George quits, um, which, sorry to ruin anything, um, (laughs) for a few days, and it's kind of the central dramatic, you know, portion of the the documentary. But, uh, you know, when he leaves, they listen to Isn't It a Pity?, Um, pretty much sounding like what, you know, the, the version that would go on all things must pass and, and, you know, sort of being like, Oh yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I think meeting the, the broader crew, Mal Evans, you know, I've seen a lot of George Martin in my life and I love George Martin. I think he's one of the most elegant and cleverest human beings I've ever, you know, seen on film. Um, but you know his you know he's pretty limited here, actually, of all you know of yeah. all people I would expect to have seen more of George Martin is probably the one that I would have expected more from, but um I'm glad because I've seen him a lot. um Glenn Johns, who I you know goes on to record you know only the stones, the who, Led zeppelin um, yeah, every major act every, <laughs> that in and, and every every record he didn't do his brother did, Andy. Right. Johns. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's very cool to see Glenn Johns, um, you know, funny to watch them bust on Michael Lindsay Hogg and, and very likely why he was, he made Let It Be into such a dicky, uh, uh, documentary originally is probably a little bit of revenge woven in there, um, for the way they kicked him around in this, in the studio while he was filming. But yeah, uh, and the girlfriends, uh, you know uh, Linda, Yoko, Maureen, the, uh, you know, Ringo's wife. Um, you know, and it was fun watching with mom cause you know, she's talking about toast and tea girls. And that was just a, an absolute staple at any office in England at that time that, you know, certain intervals of the day that the tea girls came out and, and you had right. toast and tea, you know?
1: Yeah, um, no. And I think, you sometimes forget the time period and and what was going on around it because the Beatles are such a. I mean, the Beatles are like you know my kids like to be everybody just they're just a they're non. I mean, they they trans non
0: negotiable port
1: into any yeah any sort of generation any any time period. But you know, I love watching the snippets of the songs as well and the just going back and blasting out the fifties and early sixties you know sort of rockabilly and country covers. Um, which was great when Elvis's birthday <laughs> happens. It's like a little k- cool part, you know, or they're just sort of like, oh, it's Elvis's birthday, like, and I, John Lennon has the great line of like, I'm catching up to him, you know, or something <laughs> like, or he's 34, you know what I mean? There was this like, it was kind of crazy, um, and uh, you know, yes, the the George quitting I thought was. You know, definitely, and just the conversations around it, and how Epstein, you know, kind of was the driver of the band, and them just sort of acknowledging, like we don't have a, you know, we don't have like a anybody to answer to anymore. You know, um, I, I thought was also like really, really telling, interesting, and in a high point, yeah. And, and I yeah. think you know, Epstein I've read was the some adult supervision,
0: stuff. and if you don't know, he committed suicide uh, the year before this mm-hmm. was shown, right. So.
1: And, um, and I've read some of this stuff, you know, how sort of Paul, I think was a bit more of the, the taskmaster, taskmaster, sorry. Um, you know, and, and you kind of get a little bit of sympathy there too. You know, I, I think like he wants to make an album, the conversations mm-hmm. around the show are absolutely hilarious and ridiculous mm-hmm. throughout, you know, I mean, you just said, it, and I, it, it doesn't I guess or does help knowing what happened? You know, at the end there, because you kind of hear all these ideas. I mean, the boat is great, and they're just like, yeah, but then we're stuck on a fucking boat with people. <laughs> like, that sucks.
0: No, I, like at least if we were so here, we'd go home. You know, <laughs> like. There's so many quotes from this that are uh, just a handful of quotes from this that that will be recycled, and uh, I was gonna I was gonna write one into um, the intro today, which is uh, Christian couldn't make it today, so uh, what if he doesn't show up by Tuesday, let's get clapped in.
1: Yeah, that was, yeah, that was exactly, that was one, we'll just get clapped in. Um, you know, and, and even that part with George leaving where they're just like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, we, I guess let's go talk to him. And they're like, how'd that go? And like, you know, Ringo's recap of like, it went well, and then it just didn't, you know, it fell yeah. apart at the end, or Yoko speaking for John. Um, you know, and I think too, like, Watching, you know, Linda and Yoko, you know, kind of hanging out and chatting, and yeah, coexist. And there wasn't some sort of like, you know, Yoko didn't live on an island, and and people genuinely seemed to to like her. You know, Um, I can I can personally do without her her screeching art in my ear, but I thought one cool thing that actually, and I think this was the first uh, the first part at the end of the first part, but or maybe it was the beginning of the second when they're sort of doing a Yoko, you know, screaming, um, montage and like Paul McCartney has his bass like up against the amp and, and, and I'm like, Holy shit, this is like Sonic youth 1993. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it was, I mean, it was very much like ahead of its like noisy, like feedback rock. And I mean, they were doing stuff that like, I I found that stuff, yeah, totally. And and I mean, that's stuff that I really enjoy seeing because it's, it's you know, it just kind of goes to show how rare this this nucleus of, of creativity was, too. I mean, they all have very good solo work and, you know, some better than others, but they all needed each other. I mean, you hear it. I mean, Paul's songs, I mean, just when when, um, you know, they're doing at Abbey road like bedroom window came in through the bedroom window, bathroom window, sorry like even just the little flourishes that John lays on there with the, the mm-hmm. vocals or let it be, you know, the kind of bass part that he's playing and stuff like that, it, it really all works, and, and that's what's so cool about it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple great moments. Again, one, you know, I had read the quote a million times of uh, Paul McCartney saying, you know, it's not, be silly if 50 years from now, you know, the, you know they wrote that uh, the Beatles broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> which is essentially the story that that you know sort of uh, people bought for yeah the, the for a myth long time. that went out Yep. and and it was I mean I, frankly I think Yoko is commendable for sitting through the shit because John Lennon wanted her there and Paul McCartney understood that and was like hey John wants her here so she's gonna be here um, yeah not a big deal thought- and and her reading the paper while you know they're writing you know, the 16th masterpiece that they go through in this thing is is pretty funny. It's like, it's that boring to sit through other people's creative process.
1: Well, that was the thing that I think was, uh, going back to the Yoko piece, where, you know, in my mind, the Yoko sat on an amp and the band broke up. You just got the sense even from the first movie that it was like, get her the fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. And it was almost betrayed that way and, and no, not no fault of Yoko's obviously because when you see more of it, there is just this is his girlfriend and mutual respect. And, you know, I mean, there were times obviously they got probably annoyed with each other or, or, you know, John would go off and do his thing. And and I think Paul McCartney kind of describes it in a way that that is pretty much how a friend would describe somebody's significant other, which is like, you know, hey, listen, they're just really into each other right now and that's what's going on. You know? Yeah. I and thought it was wasn't pretty that big great. of a deal. You know?
0: Yeah, and I also just never really, you know, I mean, I I thought of you know Harrison being squeezed out, but I never thought of it as being, you know, there's Lennon McCartney and then there's Harrison, and Harrison feels the weight of a two of playing two on one.
1: Absolutely, and I think that was uh, was that Glenn Johns and and those guys talking about that or I forget there was one part and I'm sorry it is long and I watched it in a, a couple of segments, so if you uh, fix any of the the out of order things that I. I not here not or, or the, if it's the wrong characters whatever but like i thought that was kind of cool you know i think it might have been right before harrison quit or right after he quit um temporarily you know they're just saying like look it's a you know it's a team and then it's you know george has always been kind of this uh, this other entity so you know he's constantly bringing songs in and he had written a lot of songs as we were soon to find yeah. out with all things must pass um but a late bloomer just, he didn't you know, write
0: a song until the third or fourth album you know
1: Right. And I think even the writing credits were always Lennon and McCartney. You know, I mean, it's always Mm -hmm. a thing, you know. And so he really was and he was younger and, um, you know, a little bit like two older brothers that have a a kid brother that they're Mm -hmm. kind of pick on. And I think he had gotten to the point where he's like, fuck this, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. One thing I wanted to also
1: Ringo's drumming. Can we just say sorry? Like he's a I mean, my whole life I grew up thinking Ringo is like a joke and not a good player and he's just as much a part of this band as anything anybody else you know well it's funny that it really that's is. the
0: um that is uh another one of those tropes like yoko broke up the beatles that that you know people um you know that you just grew up that was a joke that you parroted without really knowing what you were talking about but it's like you know somebody is the ringo somebody is the fredo um right and fact of the matter is he's a really good drummer but also You know, apparently that was just a joke on TV that, you know, caught that caught fire. And and again, just got repeated enough times that people took it for for um, gospel that he wasn't that he was the weak link in the band. He really wasn't. He's the reason the band succeeded.
1: No, definitely. And I think part of it is when you do watch him, he's very stoic, almost like Charlie Watts, really, in that sense, where like. He's not an animated drummer, so if you like, which you get a lot of neck-up shots with drummers, you know, mm-hmm. and he looks like he's kind of just, you know, like staring at the wall, really. But you know, his his playing, and you and you get to see it and hear it here, and just kind of adding little flourishes is, is pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah, I'd like to give a, a special shout out, and I uh, think the credits should in, uh, you know should include the the series of tea towels that he drapes over his snare. For the, yes. <laughs> of the, uh, for the entirety of the documentary. The one, so the one thing I did want to talk about, because, you know, it, it was, I, I thought I was thinking it, watching it, and then I, I threw this out on Facebook and a bunch of people um, commented on it. And it, it, again, this is a documentary that people had, uh, you know, really strong feelings about um, emotionally. And um, so I was really thrilled that people, you know, wrote in and uh, and talked about how much they they loved it. But a friend of mine, you know, pointed out something that I was thinking all along, which is there's a lot of uh, a lot of Spinal Tap jokes that uh, emanated from this from these sessions, and there is. Um, it's pretty funny, uh, you know. Obviously the girlfriend stuff, but also, you know, the two guys whose band is about to break up going back to like the earliest songs, and obviously some of the songs that. Uh, um, the uh, it, that are actually in Spinal Tap like um, cry 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 all the way home is you know just a blatant take on one after nine oh nine, and um, it's just it's funny the parallels um, you know the even the the label uh, the head of the label in Spinal Tap is called Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg. Um, right so uh, you know. But there's also the the thing about, like, you know, when George leaves and they say, well, you know, if he's not back by Tuesday, let's get clapped. And, I mean, yeah. you know, when Nigel leaves in Spinal Tap, they're, they're sitting there going, well, you know, really, he he's, you know, he's never, you know, really been that big of a part of the band. And it's like, you know, he's been <laughs> yeah. since they were <laughs> eight. Um, there's just some really, there's some great, comedy to be mind here um uh the mal evans character obviously uh the one who looks a bit like you know hr puff and stuff um who was their road manager is just constantly yeah. trying to fix shit that can't be fixed um it's it's kind of there's there's a lot of
1: uh the publishing uh, piece when they were talking about the publishing music too is was great and then the uh yeah, the yeah the, the, the engine trying to like fix the board the entire time. and like, mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, like you, you just see a stone hedge
0: coming down, a miniature yeah. stone hedge. Like Mal Evans spends <laughs> about half the film on the ground.
1: Yeah. Um, and well, I mean, the orphanage part alone is just like, like who the f- – <laughs> like, going once, going twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like – Maybe we should do Okay, chaos, not, not the or- And they're yeah. like, oh, and, and then they can all get up and walk when John <laughs> – it's like, what? Like.
0: Uh, oh man, yeah. There's there's a lot there's there. So, too. anyway, and then there's the triumphant final show. Which uh, let's take a quick break. Listen to "Isn't It a Pity," and then come back and talk about the triumphant final show. Another uh, great rock and roll trope that uh, emanates from this uh, from this particular piece. Getting welcome back to the brother 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 podcast today we are talking about peter jackson's triumphant get back uh fantastic and um you know very uh, comprehensive um documentary about the making of get back uh the beatles final record and um you know there is like you said before in the um in your lifetime of uh, behind the musics, uh, it always ends on a high note, and this thing ended on a really high note—the uh, famed rooftop concert. But really, a far more, um, you know, wide wide lens view on it. Um, what was going on in the street? What was going on in the setup? Everything that that led to the famous final performance of the Beatles on top of the Apple office building on Savile Row so uh how did that one hit you
1: yeah it was cool I mean I like you said I I think it was just such a a a more um extensive version of, of what I'd seen prior um you know just listening to Billy Preston how amazing he was like the the crowd shots and the kind of like shock and awe of it a little bit too I thought it was pretty cool um it's just, it's one of those things that like has become rock and roll. It is rock and roll legend, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's sort of always been, you know, I mean, two, you know, did their video as on the rooftop as a kind of homage, homage to it. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, but I really enjoy kind of like the, you know, the conversations with the law and, and the, you know, just kind of like, it was a, it's a great ending to an end, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was funny. It was uplifting. Um, yeah. You know, uh, why Mr. Lindsey Hogg couldn't train one camera on Billy Preston, I'll never know. But, you know, no, in, exactly. honestly, until I watched this, and I mean, this is, you know, my shortcoming as, as a listener. But I don't think I ever realized, you know, I always grew up thinking, you know hearing Billy Preston, the fifth Beatle. And that was a joke that was tossed off during these sessions. But he makes that record.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and you really hear it there uh, because he's, you know, playing the complete songs. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know, it's funny after we kind of were were texting back and forth about how how intricate he is and how how he kind of brings those songs to life. You know, uh, I was happening to watch Narcos, which opened up with uh, Billy Preston's amazing uh, Fender Rhodes playing on Heartbreaker by the Stones, you know, and you're just like, that guy has a distinct sound, you know, and yeah. uh, and definitely uh, just as much as, you know, Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon and, and George Harrison have distinct sounds. Billy Preston really had his own sound. It wasn't like he was an accompaniment. It was like he has his own place there.
0: No, he was. He, that, it it really is noticeable. Um and just what I think the band needed at that time, um, and, you know, to sort of liven things up. Because, you know, you get this thread throughout that, you know, they're huge admirers of his. And I mean, there's that part where they're like, he played with Ray Charles and he's better than Ray Charles. You know, yeah. <laughs> sort of out Ray Charles to Ray Charles. So when he does finally enter the, the uh, you know, the the uh, collective, it's, it's so good. And he just seems so fluid and, and doesn't. I don't know. It was just, it was it part of is that the, the only
1: album he played on with them.
0: Did he do Abbey Road too or some of it or God, you know, I wish I should know that. Um, I don't, I, I think don't, it is. I
1: think that's his main, I mean, I know don't let me down and, and things like that, but like, I think that was kind of his, that's his, his album with them.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I think so. Um, yeah, but that's, that's what I know, you know? And, um, but yeah, I'm embarrassed to not know that. No, he um, makes
1: those songs. I mean, the song "Get Back" is that. I mean, the guitar is great, and, and it's a great rock and song. But that that Fender Rhodes is what makes that song. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it gives a, it such a warmth.
0: warmth. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was great, and and even you know the outfits which I've known forever. The the sort of individual performing styles um, where Lennon really comes alive playing live. Um, yep.
1: And And you saw a little bit of that in the studio. Like he, that's what I meant in general. He just seemed like he, he's a, he's a goof, but he's also like loves having a guitar around his neck and, and playing, you know?
0: Yeah. And that, I feel the same about George Harrison as much as he was a, you know, he was sort of mopey uh, for the entire time. I mean, he can't help but be lifted by what's going on. And, you know, what a weird, cool thing it is. And Paul McCartney is just a performer. He's just, boner to be on stage um also
1: another player you know i mean i'm a huge fan of bass players and bass guitar in general like that little german violin bass you know that he rips on but i mean like that thing that guy you realize too he's just he's beyond good bass player and writer you know it's not yeah
0: it's so intuitive for him that it just yeah you lose sight of the fact that you know i mean he's strumming he's He's doing everything um, and not none of it is conscious. Like it's just no. coming out of him.
1: Indifferent. That was what's so cool about it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really a cool moment to see the Beatles live, you know. For the last time. And to time. see them live in 1969 versus, you know, Shea Stadium being screamed out of, you know, the, yeah. the volume being screamed over and, and kind of the more simplistic – pop tunes that they started with i thought that was like these guys i mean the change that they went through so quickly and one of the things i've always really loved about let it be the the music um to go back to the album is it was a little bit of a scaled down version you know they lost a lot of the orchestration i always thought and kind of went back to a more root rootsy Mm -hmm. album
0: yeah i mean there's so a couple of their early tracks which they you know obviously highlight but they you know they go back and and you know these little interludes of, of things that, you know, you've heard a thousand times. So you don't think of them as being like, Oh, this was them going back to their roots. But it was, I mean, dirty Maggie Mae and, you know, things of that nature. And, um, two of us. Yeah. That's a beautiful song. Um, yeah. And they seem to have a lot of fun playing it. The, uh, the last thing I'll say is that it just it, I've spent most of my life because I spent, you know, a good amount of time over the years in England with family and I was always trying to impart on anybody who was an American um who had the uh affliction of being anglophilic um I'm like, trust me, if you go spend time in England, you're going to find out it's not as cool as you think. And it just made me laugh to <laughs> see the man on the street stuff in England in the late 60s because, you know, everybody has this notion that it was all Carnaby Street and, and uh, you know, Biba and, and, you know, psychedelia. It was uh, that, you know, the 70s, the 60s, 70s, even into the well into the 80s in England was pretty, it was pretty grim. So uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I've read and, and been and watched um, enough recently to docs of that time and things like that, where, yeah, it's, it's a dour population of a uh, dying empire and in poverty and, you know, at that point too, and, and sort of like uh, class Post-war. wars and, and yeah, it, it was really fucking grim actually. And I thought that was kind of great. The, uh, you know, just the kind of the man on the street piece was just like, ugh.
0: <laughs> but I also think that the Beatles were a huge part of pulling them out of that.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, they were, they were national treasure, like an icon, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think was kind of, sorry to keep kind of going back, but just in the personality-wise, it's a lot of weight, you know? And, and you got the sense, and I, I know you and I always kind of talk about, like, enjoying when artists are just sort of exhausted. Mm-hmm. And that, th- this is definitely that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are, they're tired. don't
0: Don't let me down is uh is the sound of a band being exhausted
1: absolutely yeah absolutely so all in all uh i think we both recommend it i think uh you know i think in general like i i thought it was a really cool glimpse And my only complaints are length and just you know as i mentioned before you know that I, i sometimes don't need to see everything in those circumstances, but I think with the Beatles, it is something special and, uh, and pretty amazing that we could just stream all of that over the last few days.
0: And uh, I think um, I will uh, I'll one up your, your enthusiasm by saying I will actually watch this again probably yeah you know times, after wait, talking wait. about it with
1: you i'm probably gonna go back to it myself yeah so uh i, I will i will counter my own uh, dissatisfaction and and get back get back
0: yeah Ooh, well done um all right take a quick take a quick break and then we'll end this how we end every episode
1: Back to the Brother 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 Pod, and Wyndham and I just uh, finished a conversation on uh, Pierre Jackson's Get Back, the uh, Let It Be sessions from the Beatles. And um, we are at the end of this episode, and we are going to end it as we always do. Wyndham, what are you listening to?
0: Well, it's funny you should ask. Um, I would say I don't think I have talked about Narcos Mexico season three. which I watched um, during I don't know November, and um, <laughs> it is easily I think one of the most consistent shows on television at this point it you know I've never sort of elevated it to the to the levels of shows that I've you know loved, um you know, like the Wire or Sopranos or something like that, but um it is really consistently good and historically accurate and a great piece of television um i am shocked that it hasn't fallen off and i'm really impressed and uh i highly recommend it to anybody who is looking for for something to watch over a long haul because it you know again it is uh, historically based so it starts in columbia and may, may, you know makes its way through the uh pretty brutal drug trade and and it's um gets up to about 1990 mid 90s on this one i believe right um with yep. the uh, political assassination and the and the um uh you know all the the turf wars uh, between different um mexican states and or their cartels um it's a it's a great show and um like I said, it hasn't gone down in, in quality. In fact, I think it's one of those rare shows that that keeps getting better.
1: Yeah, I, I second that wholeheartedly. I um, I agree. I was going to say, I almost feel like it gets better. And, and you, you just said that. So it's one of those things where I, I totally enjoyed this season. And I think I, at times, sometimes tell myself that it's not as good as it is. I don't know why, but... Um, When I go back to it, it it is very consistently pretty damn great, Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of leads to what I've been listening to. Um, I've actually been listening to literally the book um, Power of the Dog by Don Winslow, which um, also chronicles and inspired me. I know you and Christian read uh, both The Cartel and that and uh, probably years ago and, 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 you know, both love them. And so I've always wanted to, I'm in the midst of just reading a couple other books and, Sometimes things like that are just easier for me to listen to on an audible. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, cringey, like I am a little squeamish and I don't mind watching something like Narcos, but some of the the descriptions of things that go on in that world are a little rough, um, I must say. But like uh, in terms of torture and uh, the ways of torture, but pretty awesome book. I'm, I'm pretty stoked, especially having just finished Narcos and kind of now reliving the, the print version. Yeah. Um, just really fucked up and interesting stuff to me in, in general and if you uh you know ever think the world is uh, there you know the world is um on the right track just feel free to kind of dive a little deeper because there's just so much shit that goes on under the covers you know it, it's crazy
0: it's historical fiction so to speak but it is um so historically accurate and well researched that you know, it really truly is just the names were changed. Um Yeah. Then,
1: I mean, the story itself is just amazing, you know, and the dominoes.
0: Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So you want to put a song on the, uh, 800 billion, 400 million, uh, 10 best songs of all time.
1: I do. Um, yeah, I recently got, um, GP by Graham Parsons on vinyl, just an album that you and I love. And, um, and it just inspired me, which isn't hard to do, to kind of go on a little Graham Parsons binge. And I went back to uh, "Gilded Palace of Sin," the you know pretty famous Flying Burrito Brothers album. And I, I just I think I'd forgotten how good that album is, start to finish. Um, you know, there's a bunch of covers on there and stuff, but it's just a fucking great album. And, and I, I don't know why I had lowered it a notch in my mind, maybe off of the solo stuff. But man, that guy was so ahead of his time. I mean, and so. Um, Ahead and behind, like, you know, in a weird way. But um, I'm going to throw on Hot Burrito number two, which I think kind of is the framework for so many, you know, 70s divorce songs that we love.
0: But yeah.
1: it's, uh, you know, there there would be, like, that song definitely came first, Jackson Brown and everybody else in the 70s. It's, it's such a great song. So go well, Hot Burrito number two.
0: I'm going to put one on that I think is not on there and I think has been, you know, weirdly something just we've forgotten to put on over the course of time, you know, cause it's a top, you know, maybe top five song of all time. Uh, a day in the life by the Beatles.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. It's actually like the first song
0: I got into by them. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we just made the, just made the, um, playlist a lot better. And, um, yeah, yeah, this was, it was a fun hang and a fun watch and, uh, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. We'll be back with our favorite albums of the year. And, uh, last episode before the new year so thanks
0: i'm Wyndham lewis on behalf of my brothers jeremy sartorian christian lewis thank you very much for listening to the brother 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 podcast many thanks also to our heroic producer damian kendall and to simon doom for our epic intro music learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com follow us on twitter and facebook and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on itunes thanks again for listening